This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to Tuesday's episode. This is a doozy. It is a topic that maybe you're going to roll your eyes at at first. Maybe you're going to be defensive because honestly, it's an uncomfortable subject and it feels overwhelming and it feels like there's nothing that we can do about it. But there is. And I'm hoping because my audience is mostly parents with young kids, like I would like to make a change in this area before our children are of the age where they're asking for a smartphone and social media accounts. So today I am speaking with Dr. Allison Young. She is a family physician here in Ontario and she has kind of developed this interest in smartphones and the effects that it has on children because she sees young kids and teens and young adults in her office regularly who are struggling with mental health, struggling with cell phone addiction, watching hours upon hours of like TikToks and social media content and dealing with like online bullying and the social pressures of being on social media. And it's a really difficult thing because people are really, and by people I mean young people, are dealing with these things and there's not, you know, set treatments in place. Like it's such a new thing that it's not like there's a 12-step program for, you know, young adults who are addicted to their phones. It's it's a new thing. And so she is trying to spread the message of, you know, kids should be waiting until they're much older to have a social media account and to have a smartphone in their freaking pocket 24/7. Because most of my listeners have young children, I'm really hoping that things change before our kids are at an age where they're asking for a smartphone. I wish schools would get on board. It should just be like a worldwide rule that smartphones should not be allowed in schools. And I was shocked to learn that Allison's husband is a high school teacher and kids just have their smartphones with them all day. So what do you think they're doing on their break, during their lunch hour, at recess? Like, they're literally staring at their phones. And then they go home. Parents are probably busy, working late. They're staring at their phones. And then when they go to their room to go to bed, what do you think they're doing? They're on their phones for hours. And I think parents get overwhelmed because it's like, oh my God, how are we supposed to change this? Or they look at their kid and they're like, it's fine. Like, they're fine. But It's really something that snowballs over the course of years. You know, they start to lose interest in other activities. They start to lose interest in friends. They become more depressed, more, not introverted, but like turning inward instead of, you know, reaching out to their parents or talking with their parents. It's it's something that happens slowly over time. And it's really sad because it's really affecting kids who are at an age where, you know, by the time it's too late and they're already in this, it's like when they would be going off to university, which should be like one of the best times of their lives. And it's just being robbed from so many kids who are now struggling with, you know, major anxiety and depression and this addiction to cell phones. And you might think it's dramatic to call it an addiction, and it's really not. And Allison explains how it is actually the exact same mechanism, if you will, that would happen with an addiction to a substance. So it's really, really serious. And I'm just hoping that in the future, something changes. And I think it starts with parents of young kids who have yet 
to even, you know, be aware that they could have a cell phone. It starts with us. So I hope you send this to everyone that you know that has young kids, that has teens. It is very important. So without further ado, please welcome Dr. Allison Young to the Mom Room Podcast. You are a family physician. Is your son five? Five, and I have a daughter that's almost two. Oh, okay. I don't think I knew that you had two. Anywho, so we have the five-year-old in common, but you're a family physician that started to become interested in smartphones and how they're affecting children. So your Instagram account is at the smartphone effect. And I'm curious when you became interested in that and why? Yeah, so I feel like I came back from mat leave after my daughter. And for years now, you know, we've been seeing increased visits for mental health in kids and teenagers. And I think I came back and it was just even more so. Obviously, COVID increased everything too. But we're seeing more, more complex mental health, more admissions, more suicidal thoughts and attempts, self-harm. So what stood out to me is as I was seeing these kids and, you know, they would tick all the boxes for depression and anxiety, ADHD, according to the DSM, you know, they fit the criteria, but they'd be on one, two, sometimes three medications and they weren't getting any better. And I'm like, what is going on? Like there's, there's something else going on here. So as I would talk to them about, you know, like, what do you do for fun? What are your hobbies? What extracurriculars do you do? And it was like time and time again, they would just kind of look at me blankly. And then they would kind of motion to their phone, which is, of course, always right beside them in the encounter. And, and they would kind of say, like, that's what I do with the majority of my time. I was like, okay, something, something's going on here. So I started to look into the research and it just became so clear so quickly that this is at the root of so much of what's going on with this mental health epidemic that we're seeing. So I just felt like I had to speak out and do something. And that's why I created the Instagram platform. And I'm really thankful for you for letting me come on here because I know that your audience is a lot of parents that maybe don't their kids don't have social media yet. And so I'm hoping that maybe we can change the talk a little bit and, and delay when they might make that decision. I feel like there's this overlying knowledge that everyone kind of knows overuse of a smartphone is not good for kids. But at the same time, it's so widely used and it's like everyone just has one that we just kind of like brush it under the rug and we're like, oh, like it's not going to happen to my kid. Like it's not going to affect my kid. Like I'll put a couple boundaries in place and you know what I mean? And so it's frustrating to me because I'm terrified of that. Like Milo's only five and I'm like, oh my God, like dreading the day where he wants a phone. And then for me to say like, no, you can't have one. And then him to be like, well, all my friends have one. And it's like, oh, yeah, I feel like that's the slippery slope that I see, too, is like, so the stat would say 50% of kids have a smartphone by 11, like 99% by high school. Oh, yeah. And so 
I think that's the the trap that parents innocently fall into is like, well, all my friends already have one and they want to get a hold of their kids. And so they, they hand it over, but without knowing what's behind that, it just quickly turns into them getting onto all of these apps that their parents don't even know about. I feel like we are kind of like the first, like we didn't grow up with smartphones, which now we have children. And so we have never navigated childhood, teenage years with smartphones. Like I think I got, I actually did a little bit of a Google search and the first iPhone came out in 2007 and I started my master's program in 2009. So I think on Google, it said smartphones became kind of like widely used around 2010. So, I mean, we were already pretty much adults at that point. Yeah, we, we don't know what it's like as parents to because we're also not using social media for the same things that our kids are, right? Like we do mindlessly scroll and we do all of that, but they're, they're using it for pornography and bullying and just all kinds of dark things that I think parents don't really understand. And it's kind of easy to hide. I feel like everything that happens in the world, it's like this massive pendulum like it goes to like the extreme and then it kind of starts to balance out a little bit and I feel like we're in the it's just about to start to balance out I feel like the last five ten years have been terrible for smartphones but now as more information comes out I'm hoping it's going to start to get better but why do you think it became such a major issue yeah, so I honestly feel like it's this perfect storm of of many different factors. I mean, the the obvious thing to blame is that since 2012, 2010 when smartphones became commonplace, these platforms are trying to make us as addicted as possible. Like obviously that's a huge part of it. But I think it's what you already touched on that parents are a bit innocently ignorant about the topic and they're not really sure what their kids are doing and I find once kids get into that world where they're they're quite addicted and spending a lot of time they're also not talking to their parents as much and so there's there becomes this divide where they're not relating to one another so there's that I think there's a big part of it that the parents fear the outside world which you know, we're scared to have our kids go outside alone these days, because what happens if they get hurt? What happens if someone kidnaps them? And so it's naturally led to kids spending a lot more time indoors. And I would argue now that at this point, it's a lot more dangerous for your kid to be locked inside their bedroom for hours at a time, we need to get them back outside. The other thing is obviously the social pressures. So if 50% of your your peers at age 11 have a phone, it goes up every year. If you're the only one without a phone, you're begging your parents. And so, you know, parents don't want their kids to feel sad and feel left out. So there's there's that. I think everyone's just kind of joined the party, so to speak, and hoping for the best. And then there's also now 
especially in education, like this huge pendulum swing towards dependence on tech in the classroom. Like all these tech companies are telling the board of education, like we are the best way you need to implement tech into all of your teachings. It's going to make them better students. When I think there's a lot of evidence now telling us that that's not the case and they actually don't learn as well. And then a huge thing that you talk about all the time too, is parents are busy. We're all busy. So, you know, sometimes they're on their phone for longer than they should be because we're trying to get things done or kids are in a lot of organized activities now, multiple times a week. And that's great. They're doing those things, but we're not spending as much quality time as a family where there's really just that talking piece. So there's that. And then COVID, which I don't even need to talk about, but obviously that took everything that was already happening and just intensified it that much more. I was just listening to a podcast and she was talking about how a vulnerable period for kids and adolescents is like nine years old to, I think she went all the way up to like age 25. But just saying like in there, there's like a period of time where your brain, something about like brain development and like it's like being restructured or something like that. And so it's almost like you were saying a perfect storm in that this is when children typically get a phone. And most adults don't do well when they overconsume social media and spend time on their phones. So now imagine a child in this vulnerable part of their life where they're just trying to like gain self-confidence and figure out who they are and like fit in and all the things that go on when you're in high school and we're just handing them a smartphone. It's like, oh. I feel like a good comparison is, I think what you were talking about is, is that our frontal lobe or prefrontal cortex is not fully developed until age 21. So that's the part of our brain that is responsible for making good decisions, insight, our personality. And so if you think about driving like we don't give kids a license until they're 16 and they're still not fully developed then but you know a 10 11 12 year old probably could physically learn how to drive they probably could drive but we don't let them drive because they don't have the frontal lobe development to make good decisions on the road just as the same as someone who has dementia we take their license away when they no longer have that frontal lobe activity that's going to let them make good decisions. So it's like we're handing them these devices that have the ability to be super dangerous and they don't have the cognitive capacity to handle it. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. If you're like me, then the bane of your existence is thinking about what to feed your children, prepping food, going to the grocery store, all of the above. Who has the time? We are all so busy and it's important to incorporate things into our life that keep our life as simple and convenient as possible. Little Spoon is one way to do just that. They deliver fresh, healthy meals and snacks straight to your door that your kid will love at every eating stage they are in. 
The baby blends are fresh, organic baby food from single ingredients to multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. They partner with Clean Label Project to test their blends for 400 plus contaminants, including heavy metals. So you know you're getting good stuff. The Biteables are finger food meals that are cut to size to promote easy self-feeding and they are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. The Little Spoon Plates are toddler and big kid meals that are free of junk and they taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. Think hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous eats like potstickers, gnocchi, and more. They also offer really fun things like puffs, they have smoothies, lunchers, and snacks. You quite literally never have to think about food again. It's just easy peasy. And did I mention this all comes right to your door? It is so flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. The price is right, the quality is unmatched, you are going to love it and your kids are going to love it. It is just a huge win for your family. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode of The Mom Room and providing me with samples. You know how a lot of people can't leave the house without a water bottle? It's like their emotional support water bottle. I am the exact same way with facial tissues. And that is because I have such bad allergies, specifically in my sinuses, to the point where I know I'm going to have to blow my nose multiple times in a day and I cannot be out in public without my emotional support facial tissues. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Now I know if I have a big event, maybe I'm going to a concert, going out for dinner. I don't want to be blowing my nose every two seconds. It's very unbecoming. And so I will take Claritin D and enjoy my evening. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter or ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. And similar to the car analogy, we go through extensive training on how to drive a car and how to navigate that. We have like a license. You can't go fishing without a license. Like you, like there's so many things that you need a license for and training. It's the same kind of thing. It's like handing them a phone that they're going to be using hours a day. And it's just kind of like, here you go. There's no like standardized training. There's no program that they have to go through. I don't know. I feel like it should be in the curriculum. I don't know that it is. I remember doing research on, this was like a long time ago, just on the impact that like magazine images and stuff like that have on people with regard to like body satisfaction and all that kind of stuff. And I remember thinking like, how is there no media literacy course in high school or, you know, like when you start to consume all these things, like, and now with social media, it's like 
times 10. Like there was no smartphone when I did that research. Oh my God, I'm so old. <laughs> oh my well, God. And the vast majority of the high schools in, in our district anyways, Waterloo and Cambridge, once you get to high school, they don't even enforce a cell phone policy. So that's actually one of the things that I'm trying to do is talk to some of the local principals because the kids need a break in the day from this addiction. And they're not, they're just on their phone all day. My husband's a high school teacher. And it's like, you can't, how do you teach kids that aren't listening to you? They have no capacity to listen. It's so hard. In a perfect world, I always like to play this little game. Like in a perfect world, like how do you think smartphones should be managed? If there was a law, if there were like policies in the school system, like what do you think it should be? In a perfect world, okay. I think as far as the school goes, perfect world would be that parents have parental controls on their child's phone that they can turn off the phone for the school hours. Like they don't need to be snapping each other during school. So that's a perfect scenario that the phone's just dead when you're at school. But if that wasn't the case, then if they can have them in their lockers during all instructional time and ideally in between classes too, because I think you need a good disruption in that constant spiking of dopamine to really be able to, maybe we can get into that, like how that all goes down, but to try to replenish that that baseline of your dopamine so that it's not bringing you down so much and breaks of only, you know, cause some classes will do, we'll give you a cell phone break after 30 minutes. If you just focus for 30 minutes, like it's not long enough. All they're going to be doing is thinking about that 30 minutes when they can use their phone. So just, I don't know if that really answers your question, I guess, as far as school goes, but yeah. Like when you were saying that, I was thinking my husband went and saw Chris, I believe it was Chris Rock live at Scotiabank in Toronto. And when he went into the arena, everyone had to put their cell phones in like this little pouch mm -hmm. that closed like a magnet on top. And so you could not use your cell phone at all because they had the control to be able to open that pouch. That's a perfect solution. I know. I think that is a perfect solution. I think the I, I don't know if the challenge there would be the budget. I don't know. Like Yeah, I know. I'm just this is this is our make believe yeah. world. This is our yeah, this is utopia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. No, it's interesting. Like they can control cell phones, even just making it a rule. You said your husband's a high school teacher. Like what is the do they have them in their pocket in class? So right now, because there's not a policy the school board will not get involved, basically. So it's up to each school, which means it's up to the principal and the teacher to figure it out. So right now at his school, it's sort of class by class. So there are teachers who are very strict about it and say, keep it in your bag. If I see it out, it's I'm taking it or whatever. But class to class, that will change. And so I think what we know about kids, like obviously consistency and routine is going to be more beneficial. So it really does need to be a school-wide policy. There was a high school in Cambridge last year that implemented a policy, and I talked to her, 
And it was remarkable the changes that she noticed. She's like, you would not believe like our suspensions were cut in half. Kids were coming to, to us to say like, can you keep my phone? Cause I like the way that I feel like it would just, once they get over that sort of adjustment and their little tantrum, then they're going to be better. Yeah. Even me, like the last maybe two, three weeks, I have really, especially like once Milo's home from school, my phone is not necessarily attached to me anymore. Like I'll leave it downstairs when I go do bath time and bedtime routine, or I'll even go for a walk without my phone. Whereas before, like I could not do anything without my phone. Now, The time that I did go for a walk without my phone, there were so many beautiful trees with like the leaves changing colors. And I was so pissed that I couldn't take a picture, but still, still I survived and it was fine. But my overall mood and mental health, obviously I made other changes too, like going to yoga, like different things, but having extended periods of time without my phone has made a massive difference for me. Yeah, same. And I'm an adult. You have that frontal lobe. Can you talk a little bit about addiction? Honestly, I feel like when you say kids are addicted to their phones, people probably like roll their eyes like, oh, okay. Like, because when we hear the word addiction, we're thinking, you know, like addicted to substances. So how does addiction to a smartphone happen? And what does it look like? Yeah. So I want to try to explain it in a way that's not just like the standard dopamine answer, because I I think everybody kind of knows it relates to dopamine. But I think if we get a good understanding of what's really happening and how this truly is the same as like cocaine or meth, it's, it's all the same mechanism. It does make a lot more sense. So dopamine is a chemical messenger in our brain. It's responsible for motivation, drive, movement as well, but that's not important here. So when we think about dopamine, we have a baseline of dopamine all the time. The baseline is going to be partially genetics, partially because of our life experiences. And then every time that we do something that gives us pleasure, we get that spike in dopamine. The really important factor is to keep homeostasis in our bodies After every dopamine spike, we actually get a drop below baseline. And it's in those drops that we feel we don't like how that feels. So we feel craving and we want to feel that again. So that's the basic premise. Different things will give us bigger peaks and drops. So for example, cocaine gives a smaller spike than methamphetamine, which is why meth is so highly addictive so quickly. If you look at social media, and if we we use the stat that the national average, this would be US-based, but the national average of kids on their phones per day, teenagers, nine and a half hours. What? So if you, yes, I know. And I've, I've had some patients, I'll say like, will you show me your phone? And we'll like, they'll bring out their screen time. And yeah, it's true. So if you imagine that you are getting a peak constantly, constantly, constantly likes, comments, the algorithms feeding you things you love. We also have to understand that dopamine is not infinite. So if you imagine that dopamine is like a ball pit, there's only so much there. So 
if we are constantly getting spikes and drops all throughout the day without breaks, we don't have enough dopamine to replenish us back. And eventually that baseline actually starts to fall. And that's when you start to see that they aren't interested in other things. So kids come in and they're not wanting to go to school. They don't want to hang out with their friends. They've quit their favorite sports team. They're not as interested in doing other things because it doesn't give them that same peak. Now, eventually the social media won't even give them that peak. And that's when they fall into that real addiction as you want to put it. And like, it sounds dramatic, but it's not like the hold that these phones and these, these apps have over these kids is, is literally, they need to be rehabilitated. Are parents ever involved like in the like appointments and like the information and because like you said, a lot of parents are probably unaware of all of this stuff. And you know, if they don't see their teenager for a few hours, they're not necessarily thinking they're, like, glued to their phone. Like, would a lot of parents, they would probably be surprised to hear those stats and to understand how that works. And I bet you people that have teens would hear that description that you just gave of the dopamine and how it, like, slowly results in depression and not being motivated and all that kind of stuff. And people would probably be like, holy shit, like that's exactly what happened. Yeah, I absolutely try to explain it to parents. And honestly, they're not surprised. They're not surprised because they live day to day with their kids. Like when the kids are coming to me, by that point, they're they're already quite depressed or quite anxious. Like they're they're wondering if they need medication. So the parents know that they're not doing well. So when I explain these things, they're kind of like, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. However, the reason why I think I need to speak about this and we need to spread the word about this is because I want to prevent kids from getting there. Like I, I, I do. Yeah. I unfortunately have a lot of parents who will say to me, you know, like, I hope that this is going to help my younger kid, but my older one, I feel like she's so lost in it now that I don't know what we're going to do. Like they just feel really very helpless in trying to battle the whole thing. Obviously, if you have younger kids, you can like try to prevent this from even happening in the first place. But if someone is listening or, and they have a child that's, let's say, 17, 18, and is already at that point, or maybe they know somebody that has a kid that's struggling with this. You know, like, if someone's addicted to alcohol, it's like, we understand what the treatment for that looks like. What would this entail? And I'm not talking about medication. And, like, I'm sure there's most situations where it's like, before you start a behavioral kind of treatment plan. Maybe you do want to be medicated so that your baseline is and like you're able to go through the treatment and like have it 
work. Renee, like you are terrible at explaining this, but like, you know what I mean? Like, yes, I have a PhD in psychology and uh, this is uh, what I sound like now. Yeah, Yeah, sometimes you need to be medicated in order for the therapy to be able to do its thing. Yes, yes, yes. yes. So what does the behavioral, like are there places where you can go where someone specializes in smartphone addiction? Like, does this exist? No, I'm like literally any counselor I meet now, I'm like, can you get into this field because I would love yes like anyone want a partner like I think that there needs to be somewhere to send people a hundred percent or like a program yeah and the thing too it's hard with kids because it's so nuanced like different kids especially depending on their age so they're frontal lobe development and how far along they are or their or their social supports some kids have better insight in it than others so like some kids want to make changes and so if i say to them cut your screen time in half for the next month before you see me next they'll do it whereas there are others who will not and so then at that point it really comes down to whether the parent is willing to enforce what I would recommend. Well, you would hope that a parent would be on board, you know, if your kid's life is being severely affected. Because even me personally, like, I know people who, they're not going to university. They're not interested in things. They've, like, quit teams. Like, they've, like, I see this happening as well. And it's like, it's a big deal. So the thing that I want to stress is like, I don't want people to treat it any differently than you would an addiction to a substance. You know, we're all about like getting people help when they're addicted to a substance. But the smartphone thing is such a tricky, like, I don't know that people take it seriously enough and they need to because the result of that are the things that are serious, like depression and anxiety, and that affects your entire life, especially at that age. Like, that's where you're building, like, long-lasting friendships, and you're, like, thriving on athletics, or maybe you're into the theater or whatever, and then you're just going to give that up. And, like, it's such a important time in someone's life. That's it. I often say, like, We have memories of when we were kids, like doing ridiculous things, going to bush parties and, you know, making some bad decisions. But like these kids aren't even doing that. They don't, they're not even going out and and partying. Like, is there, is their greatest memory going to be looking back and thinking about that TikTok video that they saw? Like I just, or snapping their friends right next to each other. Like I just, it's really sad. I feel like they are being robbed. My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year, and we have been thinking a lot about our long-term health. We want to get smarter about our health, make better choices, but also not feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction. There is so much information out there, and it can be hard to figure out what applies to you, what is right, and what is wrong. Well, let me introduce you to the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. Don't just take my word for it. Naomi's Apple Review says, Zoe Science and Nutrition is super easy to consume 
consume even if you don't understand the science. With loads of actionable tips, a great mix of guests, and interesting cutting-edge science. You can't go wrong with a weekly podcast where world-leading scientists explain how their own research could improve your health. If you're ready to join millions of others like Naomi transforming their health, then search for Zoe Science and Nutrition wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night, and I am obsessed. Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment, and there's also a glossing detangling which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair is too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolav.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. And I always think to myself like, I'm not a big consumer of content. Sometimes I do because it's kind of like my job and I need to know what's going on or like trends or whatever. But like, I'm always like, Renee, like you don't know these people. Like, what are you doing? Like, I remember Alex Cooper from Call Her Daddy was talking about how she was constantly like scrolling TikTok or something. And she's like, I'm in my backyard. Like, it's a beautiful sunny day. And I'm like sitting here looking at strangers that I don't even know. It's like consuming content is great. And like, I learn a lot of good things. Like I see videos that like completely change my life and like inspire me, like for whatever reasons. But at the same time, like you can't stop living your own life. You know what you should do? I remember when I was in my PhD, I don't know why this stuck out to me when we were talking about like, is there even a program for kids to follow if they struggle with this? There was a book, my area was eating disorders, and there was a book called Overcoming Binge Eating Disorder, and it was like basically a program within a book that people could follow from a a psychologist. There needs to be a book like that on this topic, so you should write that. Get on it. One of my future (laughs) goals, yeah. (laughs) Future goals. (laughs) I recently had Matthew McConaughey on the podcast. I don't know how, like, that was wild, but... The interesting thing that I, when I was doing research about him and his family, was that his son, his oldest son, never got social media or like a smartphone until he was 15 years old. And his reasoning for that was like, he wanted him to live his life and like make memories of his own instead of living life just to be able to show it to strangers online. Like, it really made a lot of sense. So for your kids, what age do you think you would be like, okay, let's let's get an Instagram account or sign up for social media? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. And I'm trying to frame it as not so much an age question. I see 16 thrown around a lot. And I think that's a good benchmark for social media. But I think really, when you're thinking about, is my child ready for this responsibility? Because really, it is a responsibility. It's a lot. You want to 
ask them, like have a conversation or ask yourself, you know, what kind of kid are they now? Do they know who they are now? So some of the questions that I think you could talk to each other about is like, are you going to school? Are you trying in school? That doesn't necessarily mean you have to be an A student, but like, are you putting forth a good effort in school? Are you doing your homework and your chores without your parents begging you to do them? Are you trustworthy? Like, do you lie to your parents? Can you carry on a conversation with an adult? Like, could you order your own meal at the restaurant? Or does mom and dad have to do that? Do you have other activities that you enjoy doing already that is taking up some of your time? Do you already have mental health concerns or things that you're treated for? Because I think those kids, especially, I have parents who made their child wait until 16. And I was like, that's amazing. But she still deteriorated very quickly after that. And she was 16. So it wasn't an age. She just wasn't ready for that step. So, you know, more or less, like, do you already have a strong sense of who you are? And will that sense of self hold up to this whole internet world telling you who you should be and what you should do? Like another example of a patient I had, she is so sad, like TikTok addiction, big time TikTok addiction. And she's like, I stand in front of the mirror and change my outfit over and over and over again, because I'm just so worried about who's going to judge what I'm wearing. And in a month, we took her TikTok from, she was like six to eight hours a day on TikTok. We went to two hours and she came back a month later. She's not perfect, obviously, but she was like, you know, I already feel more confident. Like I'm just putting on what I want in the morning and I'm not thinking about what other people are going to think. So it's, it's, yeah, really, like, is your kid strong? Once a parent is like, okay, let's get you a smartphone and, you know, set you up and blah, blah, blah. What are the boundaries or things that they should put in place to kind of like ease them into it? Like, what are some rules that you'll have in your family when it comes to social media and smartphones? Yeah. And I'd start by saying, like, hopefully by the time you do give your child their first phone, smartphone, it doesn't have to be a smartphone at first, you could just give them a flip phone. I think I want to add, like, I think a lot of parents, the first phone that they give their child is more of a safety issue, like they want to be able to contact them if they're away for the night or at a sporting event or whatever, very reasonable, usually around grade seven, I think it's probably not necessary for a kid to have their own phone in primary school but like you know seven and above you can you can start with a, a dumb phone which is just a talk and text phone that doesn't have any features like let them show the responsibility to take care of that much cheaper phone as well and see how they do with that before you transition into the full the full thing so anyways by the time you're ready to give them a phone Hopefully they're going to be well prepared because you've been having conversations leading up to this point for a long time. You're educating them about what they might see online, what to do if they see something that makes them uncomfortable online. So that's happened. And then when you hand over the phone, I feel like it's important to say right from the get go, like, 
this is my phone that I pay for and I'm, I'm letting you use it. And we're going to work through this as a family because this is new for all of us, but we need to set some boundaries and you can make this decision. I, I think monitoring your child's phone is very reasonable. I would have, you know, before I got into all of this, I would have totally thought that was very helicopter parenting. But what I've learned is it's just, there's so much danger out there that we kind of don't have a choice at this point. I mean, hopefully, like you say, the pendulum's going to swing and they're going to make things safer. But I feel like at this point, you've got to, at least in the beginning and then periodically, check that phone, go through it with them, make sure they're not getting into trouble. The number one boundary I would set, if you're going to remember or listen to anything that I've said, would be no phones in the bedroom or the bathroom. We could extend to that. Nothing good happens in the bedroom with a phone. That's where they get into trouble with the photos and all of the things. So not to mention the sleep like teenagers are not sleeping these days it's insane and teenagers are supposed to love to sleep so they aren't sleeping because they're up on their phones all night so no phone in the bedroom put it where it needs to go and then I think it's just really sitting down with your family and and talking about your values as a family and coming up with things that are going to work for you and it'll be a moving target you might have to adjust as you go but it might be that you know, you're not getting any time on your phone until your homework and your chores are done. It might be that there's no phones at the dinner table. Maybe between 6 and 8 p.m., we put our phones on the counter and we just have family time. It could be that when you have your friends over, you're all going to put your phones on the counter and you're going to go and play and not just sit on your phones. So, yeah, just looking at what you value as a family and what's going to work. And then also to say, you know, if mom and dad notice that your mental health is suffering with this phone, if we see you pulling away, we're going to have to talk about this again and change things. I think a good rule of thumb for total smart time and what some of the data would support trying to limit social media and video gaming to two hours or less a day. That's like really the ideal time, I think. Yeah, well, if you think about it, if you're in school till 3.30, you're having dinner with your family, maybe you're doing like an extracurricular activity, like where's the time, you know? I don't know. This is what, (laughs) there was a student recently that I met that we looked at his phone and he's in school and he's on his phone for 11 hours a day. It's all night. That's what it is though. It's it's all night. They're on their phone all night. That's wild. I just thought of this idea that like Apple or, you know, tech companies need to do this. Maybe it already exists, but I don't think it does. There needs to be a thing where like you buy a team of phones. So like I have my phone, Milo has his phone when he's older. And then you know how like when you log into a computer, you have the option to select a profile the phones should be connected. So like the parent phone has everyone's profiles on it and I can just click in and now it's mirroring Milo's phone. Yeah. It's genius. See, now you have something to do. I Oh yeah, let me just like get my freaking notepad out and I'll start writing yeah. code. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, oh, like yeah, that, that'd be great. 
it is genius. And like at any point of day, you can just like click that profile and it's mirroring his phone. To see what he's up to. Uh Uh-huh. And you can go through, like you can use the apps, like you can do all the things. So free idea for Apple. Someone techie, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, just quickly, I wanted to hear your thoughts on YouTube kids because everyone listening probably has YouTube kids in their home. We have some boundaries around YouTube, and it's usually like you can have it if we have a long car ride, like you can watch your YouTube kids in the car. For a while, like he would have his tablet in the house because we would get home from wherever we were and like he wanted to keep watching it and it was hard to take it away. But I started to realize like, no, like that's not good for his behavior. And it's much different when he like it's just in the background on the TV because he'll still be engaged in other things. And all of a sudden he won't be even paying attention to the TV. But when it's like headphones on, tablet in front of the face, it's a different story. He's also not allowed to watch it before bed. We watch Bluey like before we do our bedtime routine and that's that's it. What are your thoughts on YouTube kids? Yeah, I agree. We had to do very similar changes with our son because he was getting wild. And I think it just speaks to how addictive that can be for their little minds, right? Like it's different than the TV. So I don't inherently have anything against YouTube. I just think, again, it has to be boundaries and to to know that it is can be similar to like TikTok in the sense that it's these short videos that they're scrolling through and they love it. They love watching it. So I think you you can set up your profile to filter certain things out. I think as long as you're around and you are sort of, you know, in the back of your mind monitoring what they're consuming, then that's okay. Because there are good educational programs on there too. Such good stuff. And you know what else it is? It's sometimes I even prefer it to like Disney Junior or something because it's very calming. Some of the things, like some things are not calming and it's actually very annoying. But like there's some channels on YouTube kids that are like building the Legos and he's recently into this one it's like this guy that has these two big husky dogs and it's just like the husky dogs like doing things and it's very like low-key there's not like you know colors and like it's just some of the things that he chooses I'm like oh my god this is so good yeah totally so I think you know, arming them with the good programs and then just monitoring to make sure that they're not getting too swept up in the not so good content. And like you're already doing the boundaries and the routines, like he knows when he can expect it. I think you get into trouble when they, because they do want it all the time. I mean, they love it. So the behaviors can come either if they've just been on it for too long and then you try to take it away or if it's unpredictable when they're going to get it, because then they're just going to be asking for it and upset all the time. Yeah, we had to change it to like the iPad is for the car. And like, even now we drive him 20 minutes to school. And when he was younger, like he would watch his shows on the way to daycare. But now that he's older, like I don't even bring the iPad in the car anymore unless we're like, going somewhere far and we want to have it just in case. 
But one thing I did was I downloaded a podcast for kids. And I think he's at the age now where he can follow along and pay attention. So there was one, it's like the cat in the hat or something. Oh, yeah, that's cute. And it was so cute. And he was like, oh, my God, like, because it's the fish from Cat in the Hat that has the podcast. And he's like, it's the fish cast. And he's like, oh, my God, mommy, like the fish has a podcast. And like, he's like listening to it. So that was super cute. And something that I never really thought of as entertainment for him was like listening to a podcast, listening to stories. But there's so many kids podcasts out there now. Yeah. Well, we used to love like going in the car and listening to Sharon Lewis and Bram like on repeat on the tape player. So it's similar thing. My mom is buying him something for Christmas that is like this little square device thing that looks like it's for kids like it's really like cute there's no screen oh, on it that. yeah and it's for listening to stories and podcasts and stuff and so you I was like tell me if you like it yeah such a good idea anyways well this was lovely I love this topic so much because I dread the cell phone years and I see the impact that it has on teens and it's Something has to be done. Is there like a ton of research in this area? There is a lot of research. Like I know we didn't even really get into that, but yeah, I'm trying to like, if people follow me on Instagram or whatever, present some of those studies and there is a lot of good research that backs this up. I mean, I don't even need research. I I know it's a thing. I can see it, but yes, the research definitely backs it up in a big, scary way. And so I guess... It's just going to take some time for the research to be reflected in societal norms, like changes in, you know, it always takes time. And I would say to parents too, like if you do some research and you feel like, oh shoot, I, I want to change what I'm doing. Like I'm worried that this is harmful for my kid. Like it's, it's never too late to sit down with your child and show your vulnerability. Like I made a mistake and you know, I'm worried about what this is doing with you. Let's look at this, at this research together and we have to make changes. And sometimes as a parent, you have to make hard decisions that your parents or your child, children aren't going to like, but just because they may already have a phone doesn't mean you can't pull back. Okay. So where can people find you online? Tell us what your Instagram account is again. It's called the smartphone effect. It's nothing crazy. It's just small and started. Yeah, but that's, like, it's genius. Are you going to, like, pitch yourself to, like, to go on, like, you should go on, like, breakfast television, like, oh all God. those kinds of things to mm. talk about this? Maybe one day. I'm, I am, <laughs> I'm going to talk to a lot of, like, school, local schools right now, kind of start off that way. You were, like, my big, go big or go home. When I saw Matthew, I was, like, I told my friends, I'm, like, I, I'm quitting. I can't do it. I'm <laughs> crazy. Like, I don't belong on this podcast. <laughs> I gotta quit. Oh, that is so funny. People always so get nervous. so nervous to come on the podcast. And I'm like, really? Like, it's just me and my sweatpants in my basement. <laughs> you know, you've made it very relaxing, actually. Uh, oh, good. I don't That's like public good. speaking. Yeah. Oh, my good. God. Me either. Like, no, 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 no. Okay, well, this has been lovely. So thank you so much for coming on. And everybody go follow at the smartphone effect. And let's all prepare ourselves for when our children come home from school one day and ask ask for a phone. Ask that question. Yeah. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome.